0: I'm going to invite you guys to worship with us as we start the service today.
1: Come let us worship our
0: you guys are at it's hard like i get up here i'm like i'm worshiping i'm leading i have no clue if you had a a rough week or an awesome week if you you're upset with god about something or if you're in a time of a great relationship with god Um, i want to read this verse as we continue to to worship in romans and the holy spirit helps us in our weakness for example we don't know what god wants us to pray for but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I want you to know that this morning. We're all in different places with God um, But the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and in our worship and in our prayers and our groanings. The Holy Spirit pleads on our behalf. I want you guys to be confident about that this morning. That as we worship, as we hear the message, as we continue to go out and be the church, the Holy Spirit is pleading on our behalf and defending you and fighting for you encouraging you. Know that this morning, all right, as we continue to worship. Let's pray. Uh, Abba Father, we love you. We don't deserve it we're not worthy of it God we can't earn it but you continue to pursue pursue us you continue to pour your Holy Spirit out on us God you continue to lift us up when we make stupid decisions Uh, you continue to forgive us when we should be ashamed Um, I thank you so much that you're proud of us God that you would call us sons and daughters uh, that you would lift us up and bring us to be with you one day God I thank you so much for everyone who's here. I pray that they would know that, how much they're loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: lost distance. i with you I see my reflection Just you, just you. a fire coming like a flood
0: God. We um, can have fellowship, that we can know that we're not alone. We're not, we're not the only Christians in this world. We're not the only Christian fighting every day uh, for you, God, fighting every day for our sanity, fighting every day uh, to be a light in this world. Help us to know that we're not alone, God. I pray that you would continue to pers- pursue everyone in this room, God. Let us know that you care about us. Um, again, we all come here today Different baggage, different sins, different joys, different hopes. And I pray that you meet us where we are today, God. Regardless of who we are, we know who you are. We know that you're great, that you're loving, that you're our Father, that you will discipline us and bring us back to you. And we're grateful for that, God. Bless Mark this morning as he brings a message. Thank you so much that we get to come before your throne and worship you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat.
2: Good morning, Church. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, If you are new or visiting with us, we'd love to connect with you after the service um, in our guest service area, which is over in our One Cup Cafe area, and we have a gift for you for being here, and we'd love to answer any questions. Um, I just have a couple of quick announcements. Um, This week, we just want to challenge you guys as a church to go out. There are little uh, random acts of kindness cards on the little table by the back door. Um, If you want to just grab some of those and just try really hard in the next week to um, just go out and love on someone in the community. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus in this uh, community and just show someone that someone cares about you, someone loves you, and give them a little bit of hope through that random act of kindness. Um, We have little cards so that you can leave that so that they know that they're loved. Um, So feel free to grab those after the service. And then um, lastly, I just want to thank you guys who give to the Vision and Mission of Rethink Church. Um, It is so amazing. Um, Just the generosity that this church has for um, keeping the mission alive here in the church and out in the community. Um, And I just want to remind you guys that Next week is the last Sunday of the month, which means it's our Mission Sunday where we take a special offering for Destiny Rescue, which um, is an agency that helps rescue children out of sex trafficking overseas. Um, So it's a really, really cool ministry that we get to support and come behind. So um, we'll be doing that next week. Um, We're so glad you guys could join us, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon this morning.
3: Today I will be reading out of Mark 7, verses 1 through 13. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law... Who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with his hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the laws asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. And and he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or their mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that.
4: Picking up at verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said. Try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he decided, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within you. They are what defile you. Well, good
5: morning. Welcome to church. Anyone ready to get offended? Upset? <laughs> so. I wrote this on Wednesday and told Heather when I got home, I feel like everyone's going to get pissed off at church today. Like, (laughs) and so here we are. So uh, yeah, today there's just not like a way to have this kind of message without landmines everywhere. So, uh, but here's the deal. We're going to walk into it and my prayer, my hope is that we're going to actually be challenged, convicted, and that we're going to walk out of here saying, okay, God, what do you want to do in me? So you can do something through me okay? And, and that's just this process that we're going to work through, is we're going to not take up offense. We're just going to learn how to be confronted with scripture and go from there. And once again, when we read scriptures like this, it's one, like, we can read this and says something to us, but when you bring into all the aspects of culture, the historical aspects, the literature, like the actual words that they're using, the, um, the language that they're writing this in, everything that's happening to the original audience, what's happening to the original people hearing this, All that, when you put all those together, it gives us a a clear picture, and then we get to have a, like, we can have a discussion. When we read it thinking that this was written directly to us, we usually miss part of the major part of it, and this is one of those passages where there's a lot of layers to it, so we're just going to work through this, and we'll see where we go, all right? And so, by the way, uh, at the end of service, we're going to take communion, so if you didn't get communion, you can raise your hand, somebody on our team will give you the elements, and then we'll go from there. So uh, here's the deal: it starts off with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they come to investigate Jesus and this whole kingdom of heaven movement that they keep hearing rumors about. And some of them have walked four days, depending on the route that they've gone. They've either avoided Samaria, or they've gone uh, like in the eastern part of the Jordan and come up around the other side, and stuff like that, or they've just directly gone up. Either way, when's the last time you walked three to four days to go investigate Jesus? Or did you stop because, oh, my car didn't start? You know what I mean? Like, like these guys are coming, and some of them are coming with true intentions of, like, who's Jesus? What's this all about? What's going on here? Some of them are coming probably with an agenda, right? But there are some open-minded Pharisees, and this is a good thing. Like, the Pharisees were seen as the good people in Jesus's day, because the other side of it would have been the Sadducees, or the people running the temple courts, and they were so corrupt, and they were so, like, They exploited people and stuff like that. But the Pharisees, they didn't do that initially. And so them showing up to investigate Jesus is a great thing. And so uh, the Pharisees believed that the kingdom of heaven was going to be brought by this Messiah, and he was going to restore the kingdom of heaven, and everything was going to be awesome, it was going to be great. But when the kingdom of heaven was restored, essentially they believed that Rome would be pushed out and that Israel would rule their own country again. And that's a huge deal for them. Like, they wanted to have the old ways, the good old days back. And the Pharisees believed that it was going to happen. The Sadducees never really believed it. The Sadducees just bought right into Rome, and they really just kind of thought that was going to happen. And so they, the, the Pharisees show up with the teachers and the elders and stuff like that, and notice what they said, that some of the disciples were not washing their hands according to the traditions of the law. Now, not Torah, like what Moses gave people, but the tradition of the elders. And then I just want to like point this out. And this fascinates me that some of the disciples weren't following him. That meant that some were. That with even the original 12 disciples, there is diversity and how certain things got played out. These people have vastly different opinions about how certain things can get worked out, how things can happen, but they all anchored and centered around Jesus. And and you could have some people doing this, some people not doing this. Once again, if you walk into a building and everybody acts the same, looks the same, and votes the same, you've not walked into a church, you've walked into a cult. This is part of the anchoring parts of Scripture, the, the way of Jesus. That there should be some diversity, and there should be anchoring about Jesus and sin and salvation and, and, the, and the, the orthodox movement of certain things. But all the secondary things, have your opinion, lead by your conviction. With the, stay in step with the Spirit. How does the Spirit lead you? Now, on a very practical level, like, imagine the other disciples going, dude, why didn't you just follow the hand? Like, wash your hands. This whole event could have been avoided. Right? Like, all you do is literally walk your, like, it's not a hygienic thing. It's literally just a superstition, the tradition that they brought up. And they, like, put some water on it. They had a little prayers, little saying that they did. And it was a great way to be like, yeah, we did this. It was a way to wash the, act, the Gentile world off of them. Does that make sense? They didn't know anything about germs. They didn't think about soap. They didn't think about that. But it was a way that they could say, hey, let's wash the outside defiled Gentile world off of us. That way when we eat, we're not bringing anything unclean into us and stuff like that. Not necessarily hygienics, but just a way of doing this. Now, Mark has to pause here, but I think it's verse four, but it gives you parentheses if you're looking at your scriptures. And what Mark is doing here is he's filling his original audience in saying, oh yeah, by the way, all the Jewish people, you may not know this, but they have all these superstitions. They have all this way of washing pots and kettles and their hands, and they didn't eat anything without like, going through this process. The reason being, so they didn't defile themselves, right? Which raises the question, who's Mark's original audience? It's not us. I'll just put it this way, right? It's Christians living in Rome. Some are Jewish, some are Gentiles. And so the group of Christians living in Rome are under this like oppression, in a sense, But it would be very hard for you to, like, think about, like, it'd be very hard to to say, I'm going to trust Jesus while the rest of the Roman Empire, specifically the Roman city, is worshiping emperors and all the other gods and temples and stuff like that. They burn incense, they get to go to the market, they get to buy certain things. But if you're a Christian and you don't do these things, then you don't get access to the market. You also can't sell things in the market. So now you're really trusting Jesus and his followers to take care of your financial needs and your food and all that. And you're like, okay, Jesus, like, I understand I should pray for you and all this, but how about my grumbling stomach because I haven't eaten anything, right? Like, that's a way that we have to kind of put this in perspective. And so what Mark is telling us is like, hey, by the way, there's like this whole reality of kosher and washing hands and stuff like that. Like, it wasn't, like, his original audience didn't know it. So he's to fill them in on it. Now, this group of people, this Roman group of people, think about this. I'm going to list some of the people that got to impact this city, this church itself. Mark is there. He's working with Peter, probably at this time. He's writing Peter's writing First and Second Peter, and the gospel, according to Mark, is written around 70 A.D., but a few years, a decade or so before that, this guy named Paul is a church leader, and he writes them this letter, which we now have called the Roman letter, And so we get to read that, but think about this. One group of people, maybe 200 people throughout the entire city of uh, of Rome get to have these three dynamic church leaders telling them something. And all three of them are going to tell them, following Jesus is not about what you eat. Following Jesus is not about washing your hands. This was a major issue for the people of following Jesus during the first time. And they just had they had to have three dynamic pillars of the faith tell them this, and we read it and be like, yeah, that's cool. No, no, this is a major thing for the early Christians about like how do we actually follow them? How do we do this and stuff like that? So let me just walk us through some of the background that's going to give us some clarity why Mark has to put this in parentheses, why Peter's going to talk about it, why Paul will talk about it, uh, and stuff like that. So the early church in Rome was established by Christians who just happened to be Jewish. Most of them are mo- most likely showed up to pentecost and passover that jesus happened and then 50 days later at pentecost they show up they they see peter give the the sermon in in the temple mount and stuff like that and then they head back to rome and then they start following jesus and worshiping jesus and their synagogues and all this kind of stuff and then they start sharing the message of jesus because something was happening inside their communities and then it spread throughout the entire city and then all of a sudden it was like hey this isn't just a jewish thing this is a worldwide thing, this whole movement. And so instead of putting your hope and faith and trust in the, in the law, in the, in the Torah, we could do this into Jesus' fulfillment. of All Hebrew scriptures is found in Jesus. And so they start doing this, and then all of a sudden Gentiles start following Jesus, and they're having these house churches, and they probably look a lot Jewish, a lot more Jewish than they thought they should. But then something tragic happens where there's a fire in 41 AD. Emperor Claudius kicks all the Jewish people out. So now, you have a group of followers of Jesus who are Gentile leading this church, and they're like, wait a minute, we can't have bacon? Who says that? And why can't we have some, like, you know, like bacon-wrapped figs? That'd be an awesome thing. Let's try this. Let's have this at church, right? So why not, right? And why do we have to wash our hands like this? So they stopped doing it. And and the Jewish people had their Sabbaths on Friday night to Saturday, but the work week for the whole Roman Empire was a whole different time. So they probably started questioning, like, why can't we have a Sabbath whenever we want to? So all of a sudden, the, Jew, the, the church in Rome went from looking very Jewish to not Jewish, but very Christ-like-ish. There's still some issues there, but, like, very Christ-like more than just J- Jewish. So then a few years later, the Jewish people can come back to Rome, and they show up, and they're like, whoa, this church doesn't look like the church we grew up in. This isn't what we established. All of a sudden, now we're having bacon. There's no kosher foods. So here's their solution, which Paul wrote the letter and addresses this, this issue. They decided to have house churches, and here's a Gentile way of doing it, and here's the Jewish way of doing it. And Paul writes this letter saying, no way. It was way better for Paul to have one unified church than two separate churches catering to each other's agendas. What in the world could America learn? right? We love to have this, like, it's, the, it's a famous line, like, the Sunday morning is the most segregated time in American culture, right? Paul was like, no, 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 and this is the, why he wrote the book of, uh, the letter to the Romans, which is delivered by the lady named Phoebe, and then read to by all the churches by this lady, and stuff like that, and so uh, they have to, they, they, they had to learn how to work together again, and so this is one of the issues, and, and Mark, or sorry, Paul will write this letter and go from there. And so in this, Mark chapter 7, when Christ is being questioned by the Pharisees and the disciples, it's not about the, the Torah. It's not about what Moses gave the nation of Israel. It's about all these extra rules, right? Now, we have our own church traditions and what I call churchianity process and stuff like that. Like, I grew up, and anytime I walked into a church building, my hat had to come off. There ushers at the door that would literally tell you, take your hat off, right? And I think I've told you this before. I had like, when I became a Christian, I was in a punk band, and I was in the South Bend underground type scene, and I had this friend named Seth, and he had suicidal tattooed right here. He was balder than I am, and he was trying to check out this whole idea of Christianity, and Seth uh, just walked in with a hat, and we were at a Sunday night church. It was like, it was like the it was basically whenever they had to have church, they would like forget to write a sermon, whoever the pastor was. They'd do like a hymn sing-along. You guys know what I'm talking about? They would like play the piano, and people from the crowd would be like, hey, let's, put, let's sing page whatever, 71 or whatever. So that was their way of having church. It wasn't even a serious thing, if that makes any sense. Well, this guy named Don, he steps, he stops Seth, and he's like, take your hat off now. And it was like, are you gonna, like, what are you gonna do? Seth was like mass, like he was huge, and Don's like this small little guy, like like, You're going to lose this fight. You know this, Don, right? So like, like what's actually going to happen? So Seth takes his hat off and it says suicidal tattooed right here. And Don's like, put your hat back on. And he was like, all of this, right? Like we have our own version of this stuff, right? Like some, some churches, you can't walk across certain aisles. You have to like go through processes. And if you do, you have to like do things with your hands and all this other stuff. Like there's a whole lot of ways that we have churchianity, right? This is what Paul, or sorry, this is what Mark is addressing here, and Jesus is like, like that's all, all that kind of stuff is stupid, right? And 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 he goes into this idea of Corbin and stuff like that. And I just want to touch base really quickly. We we in America, especially professional version of Christianity, um, when you work professionally for the church, you can you can literally dishonor your family and run yourself into the ground and run your like goes full into ministry. And just say it's all for Jesus. Marriages, families, churches have been destroyed because of this idea. And what Jesus is saying here is, 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 is there's a an idea back in Jesus' day in the previous generations that you would literally sacrifice everything you possibly could. And as long as it was for God, you could call it Corbin. You could call it good. Like, like I'm not gonna show up at home, but I'm gonna do all the temple work that I possibly can. Even the priest had a schedule. You could work for a certain amount of time, but then you have to go home, and you have to take care of your family. There are people in Jesus' day that would ignore their family needs and do all the work for the temple, the synagogues, and all this, and just be like, it's in the name of God. And what, what the way, the, the critiques of those kind of people were like, you know, you have to honor your father and your mother. Honoring your father and your mother wasn't just respect. It was actually like, can you please take care of your, your family? If your parents are elderly, somebody needs to provide for them. Somebody needs to give them food. Somebody needs to, like, literally take care of them. That was a way that they could honor their father and mother. But people in Jesus' day were like, no, we're just going to do all this church work and dishonor our families. American churches would never have to deal with any of this, so I don't really need to touch base on this one. But this is one of the realities we have to watch out for, right? And so what, what Jesus starts addressing here is like, hey, you guys are holding on to the traditions to the rituals, to the superstitions, and you're, you're just letting go of the kingdom of God. What he's telling them is it's a trap. It's a trap. Do not give in to this, right? It's one of those things that you just have to keep reminding yourself. In the southern part of India, uh, people love to buy, like capture monkeys, but I don't know if you know this about monkeys. They're super fast, and uh, they just can't. So they've figured out ways to do this. And so what they do is they take a coconut, and they hollow it out, and they put a piece of candy in it, and then they tie some rope to a tree or to a weight and stuff like that. And they kind of trap, they lure in the monkeys. They, they create a hole that's just big enough for them to get their fist in, grab the candy or the piece of fruit. but then when they close the fist, they can't get it out. So then they get stuck. Right? And this is what Jesus is warning us of. Do not get stuck because you want to hold on to the traditions of your elders, traditions of the, of the churchianity world, and all this. Sometimes you're going to have to let go of things. You cannot follow Jesus on your own terms. Whatever your political alliances, whatever your church, church traditions are, your church traditions cannot or should not supersede what Christ says in his word and the way that he says, this is how you follow me, right? So hold loosely your church traditions. But every once in a while, God's going to ask you to let go of those things and to hold on to the kingdom as, as, as as vastly as you can, right? If you don't, it's a monkey trap. And all God, all Satan has to do, sorry, is distract you. Keep holding on to these traditions. Keep holding on to them, right? And we have this, and and I'm just going to say this, and it's going to upset a lot of people in here. It's okay. But we have this polarizing binary version of our values in America, don't we? We have a group of people that say, we have to hold on. Like, We have to hold on to what was America and how great it was. Was America great for everybody? Probably not a bunch of women and minorities I don't think would say it was great, right? And so we have this group of people that are like, man, we have to hold on to these values, this is what, like the fabric of America and all this, and we want to hold on to it. We want to preserve it. We want to just hold on to that. We also have this other binary uh, uh, group of people, this extreme That says, man, we have to create this utopian society for everybody. And look what we've done. Look, look at the society that we've created. And we can look back at Scripture and say, whenever humans have tried to do this, it's always failed. Tower of Babel, Noah's generation, right? Whenever we try to make this look like look what we've done, not for not for to honor God, but for our own agenda, man, it ruins and destroys society. And something is always missing. And I'll just say this, as followers of Jesus, we should, we should always be aware of this, that every, like, every single political party we've ever had has always changed their mind on people. they are prominent Democrats, they are prominent Republicans who are looking at the Republican and the Democratic Party saying, I have not changed my values, but you guys have changed all around me. And they feel like they're losing their, their parties. And they're like, what the heck is going on here? As followers of Jesus, your alliance should never be in a political party. Right? You should, your alliance and your allegiance should be to Jesus. And not one political party can say, yep, Jesus is, like, how can you be a Christian and vote fill in the blank? Right? Like, there's, there's issues on both parties. And so, what Jesus is saying here is, is he's stepping into this. He's like pulling the pin on a grenade and he's throwing it into the crowd and then walking away. Like, literally, next, next section, he's going to be in a completely different part of the country. He's gonna be out of the country because he's pissed off everybody with what he's about this, like what he's saying right here. And he's just like, "Peace out, enjoy." I need a tight, like I need, a, I need a breather. You know what I mean? And so this is part of the issue. But here in America, we hold on so tightly to our political and our alliances and our traditions and our ideologies and this, like, what we can create, and we hold loosely to the gospel. We've screwed it up hold loosely to these things because it's going to change all the time. But the kingdom of God will not. The kingdom of God will continually persevere. Sometimes we have to let go of our own terms. Another way of thinking about this, it's not just a vertical issue, but it's a horizontal issue. It's it's not just me and Jesus, but it's also this reality that it's me and Jesus and how I treat everybody else around me. If if we don't buy into this, if if we don't buy into the other way of thinking about it, we'll screw this up. And so, here's what Mark, Jesus keeps going in Mark chapter 7. He says this uh, in verse 20 to 23, what Mike just read for us. What comes out of a person is what defiles you, uh, defiles him. From within, uh, our, within our hearts, we see the heart of man. We see evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitfulness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within the person. This is what drove David, King David, when he was writing some of the Psalms. It says, I am a double-minded person. When I look within me, I see all these issues, but I really want to help and praise God. How can I praise God and worship God with all of these issues inside of me? C.S. Lewis put it this way, that when he looked inside of himself, he saw a, a, a zoo of lust and this ambition that was just corroded and evil. Whenever he looks inside of him. This is like, we talk about this all the time. That like we, we have this society that says, trust your heart. If you trust your heart, you're going to find slander, lust, greed, and all this other stuff. This is why the scriptures would say, don't trust your heart. Test everything that's going on. Like this can't be the, the process, right? And when Jesus pulls his disciples into the house, inside the house, and he's saying, hey guys, you see all these issues within you? He's like, some of you are hard-hearted enough that you don't believe it. He's like, I am the cure for this hard-heartedness. And I am the cure for this list of issues that you see in this, in this whole process. So if we want to, here's part of this process that we just need to understand that like, we, can't, we can't hold on to the traditions, but we also have to like, kind of let go of the issues of the slander and the utopian issues and stuff like that and go back to what Jesus says. And this statement right here would have been a shocking statement for his original audience. This would have this really upset some people. And it's one of those issues that you don't really understand it unless you know the backdrop. So let me just give us a quick backdrop of what's been going on in the Jewish culture in Jesus' day, a couple generations before, and kind of changes. And here's where we're going. Okay, so if you look at the Hebrew Scriptures, 722 BC, the Assyrians come in and they take over the Israelite nation, which is the northern part of the country. They take them away and they put them in exile. The Judean, like the southern kingdom, were like, "Ha ha, sucks to be you." But then 150 years later, 586 B.C., Babylonians do it to them. And they're like, oh, crap, never mind. Right? And this is is where you see Isaiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, and some of the prophets and stuff like that. And for 70 years or so, they're in exile. And then Cyrus the Mede sends them back, and they rebuild the temple, but it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple was. And some of the people that were there that remember when they were kids before the exile, they're like, oh, my goodness, this isn't anything. They start crying. This is pretty, like bland. This is pretty lame compared to what Solomon's temple was. And so then they start worshiping God in the country, but they're ruled still by somebody else. And then this guy named Alexander the Great, we've probably heard about him in history class, he starts, to, decides to conquer the world. This is the Seleucid Empire, the Greek Empire, and stuff like that. This is the picture of everything that he ruled at the time. In 167 BC, this guy named Antichrist Epiphanes shows up to Jerusalem, and he just changed, like the, a tyrant. He converts the temple of Yahweh into a temple of Zeus. He, he worships by sacrificing, he worships Zeus by, temp, by sacrificing pigs on the temple. And any of the Jewish people living there had to pay royalty fees to him. And the way that they do that, by eating pigs, by eating pork. Completely obliterates the idea of Torah Completely, completely obliterates the idea of a Sabbath. There's, you could not eat kosher if you were in that country as a Jewish person during this time frame. And then there's this group of people that start resisting. They, he starts collecting all, in 167, he starts collecting all the copies of Torah, the prophets, the historical books. He puts them on the Temple Mount, and he burns them. But this group of people start resisting this, and they start grabbing some of the, the Torah scriptures, and they hide them in caves. And then this group of people later on, a couple of generations after, before Jesus, called the Essenes, they start hiding out in the caves near Qumran, seven miles or so from Jerusalem. But because the, the army didn't know the way that the land, that, like the nation of Israel did, they weren't able to get to them. It wasn't until like 1947 that shepherds found these scrolls. This is how this, this started happening. But then the, the Pharisees are the ones who actually started resisting and took us epiphanies, and started saying like, "No, no, we have to actually preserve this." And so this group of people they started holding back, and they started reserve, like, like resisting all this. And this lasts for a few years, but then there's massive wave of resistance is motivated because uh, the the army brought in this family. It was a lady and her seven sons, and they were forced. They they thought they're going to be forced to eat pork in the temple, in the holy of holies. They're freaking out, but they resisted it. And the army brutally murdered them. And this priest gets up and he just cannot have it anymore. And it's like this riot starts happening. And they start fighting back. And miraculously, they push back the army time and time again. They keep winning these battles. They keep like guerrilla warfare type stuff and push back the Greek army, the the strongest army at the time in the nation. And they, for about 70 years, this is what we call the Maccabean Revolt. You can see these events in 2nd Maccabeans, and they pushed back the, the Greek army. For about 70 years, they ruled themselves. And they look back and they say it was because of the zeal that we had for the Lord in our temple to, to keep the temple pure, to keep our bodies pure by not eating pork. This is why God really honored us. And so the tradition of the elders were established because of the zeal for the Lord. And they thought that God was really honoring them, winning these battles for them because of their ability to keep their bodies in the temple clean by not eating unclean foods. Their symbol, by the way, their flag, if they had one, was a palm branch. What gets waved on Palm Sunday? Palm branches. What Jesus is saying is, you guys have completely missed the boat. You're you're like, they're... they're Uh, the tradition of the elders, their statement would make, make Israel great again. This is what they're holding on to. And they believe the nation of Israel and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. And Jesus like, you guys have missed this. This is why he's just pulling the pen and throwing a grenade into them, making this statement so explosive for them. And yet at the same time, we have to have this understanding that Jesus is pressing in on us because following Jesus is not about what we eat. It's not about what we drink. Roman, the group of Romans have had this before. If you read uh, Romans chapter 14, here's what it says. Paul's writing this. I'm, I'm convinced, he says, Be, being fully persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's, he's repeating what Jesus said here. All foods are clean, right? But if anyone, uh, anyone regards themselves to be un- something to be unclean, for is that person to unclean, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Meaning you can't just flaunt whatever you want to do, right? If somebody's like, that's offensive to me, you have to c- consider that, right? Do not, uh, do not by eating, eating destroy somebody's Christ, for, Christ has died for them. Therefore, do not let what you know to be, good of, to be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, the peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in that way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what it leads to peace and mutual edification, like building up each other. Do not destroy, for the, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but if it is wrong for somebody to eat anything and causes somebody to stumble, then don't eat it, avoid it like meats especially, or drinking wine and stuff like that. Uh, Don't cause your brother or sister to fail. When he says about this idea of meat specifically, remember this is in Rome he's talking to. He's not talking about Jewish people specifically in Jerusalem. He's talking in Rome. The way that they would get meat is that somebody would, in the temple, especially if it was an emperor or stuff like that, they would buy an entire cow or an entire goat, and they would make this sacrifice in the temple, and you would invite your friends and stuff like that. But you're um, like, Anyone going to eat an entire cow in one sitting? Probably not. And if you do, world record, dude. Nathan's, you know, like sign up for that hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July, right? Let's do, let's go for it. But if you're going to eat an entire cow, that's a whole different story. So what they would do is they would eat as much as they could that's already been sacrificed to a goddess or a god or some sort, and then they would take that meat and t- sell it in the marketplace. So if you bought meat, you bought it secondhand from a temple. That's why eating meat for the Roman, in the Roman culture, for Christians, we're like, whoa, this meat's been sacrificed to something. Should I be eating this? Should I not be eating this? And what does Jesus say? Yeah, eat it. It's not clean or unclean. Just go ahead and eat it. But if it makes your friend or your brother or sister stumble, then don't eat it. If what you do with your freedom offends somebody, you're not acting in love. This is, what, this is what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 7. This is what Paul is saying right here. And I just want to, this is a complete side note. I'm going to encourage you, start reading the scriptures in groupings. Like read Matthew and then Hebrews. Read Mark, First and 2 Peter, and, and Romans. And you'll see these themes just sort of pop out at you. You're like, oh, I'm starting to understand this. The gospel of the events, and then the letters are explaining the events to the original audiences and stuff like that. Uh, You can read, like, Luke, Acts, and then the Pauline epistles, and you see this over and over again. So the hand-washing is not the Torah. The hand-washing is a tradition. In churchianity, we have plenty of traditions, don't we? So let me ask you this. What what churchianity-type traditions are you holding on to that maybe you should let go of? Right? How many of us have, have ever been told you have to pray the sinner's prayer of repentance? Where do you see that in the scriptures? It's not there, by the way, just so you know, right? When I was in college, one of the questions that came up over and over again was, should Christians, and by the way, when I was in college, it was like, like how to be a pastor, right? Should Christians pledge allegiance to the American flag? I'm not going to answer that for you. I'm going to let it sit for you, right? One of the biggest debates that we had is, should churches in America have the Christian flag and the American flag in, anywhere in the building? Once again, am I going to answer that for you? Use your brain. Like, you get to decide how you want to do that, right? So these are some of the things that are, like, we had um, heated debates. Like, I thought I was going to throw a punch this person. It would have been, I wish I would have done it now. It's just to be like, I'm sorry, instead of having regrets. But anyway, (laughs) like, (laughs) because, well, anyway, that's a whole different side note. So, but here's the deal. At some point, you have to understand, ask yourself, what am I actually following? What am I holding on to? Am I holding on to the right things? Am I holding on to traditions? Am I holding on to to churchianity type things? And let me just end with this. This is a debate that we've gone through for at least 100 years here in America. Uh, The Pew Group and Barner Research have been continually researching and asking people. And when they ask certain groups of people like what's the most important uh, scripture passage, certain churches would say it was between me and God. The emphasis would always be the vertical connection between me and God. And out of that movement, that group of people, this is what we call the fundamentalist. You get a ton of great things out of the fundamentalist. You get great uh, Bible schools, trainings for apologetics, you get great movements of like Here's what here's what right is. Here's what's wrong and stuff like that. On the backside, on the negative side, when the civil rights movement started happening, guess who didn't march with Martin Luther King Jr.? A lot of fundamentalists, because they felt like it was challenging the status quo, and not in a good way, right? But then they asked like the certain same question: What's the most important cl- uh, commandment? And other people, group of people, like the um, the modernity mothers and stuff like that. And they would say, no, no, loving my neighbor is the most important thing. I guess who marched with the civil rights marches and the freedom rides and all that? This group of people. But a generation or two after their leaders, they forgot to hold on to, to orthodoxy truth. And they've fallen into the trap of heresies and stuff like that. Whenever we hold on to our traditions and we forget to hold on to the actual gospel and the kingdom of God, we miss out. And we have to get back to holding on to the the scriptures and the Christ-likeness and what we do. For 2,000 years, there's been a tradition that uh, followers of Jesus have done to remind themselves of what to hold on to, the true message of Jesus. And this is where the uh, act of communion comes into. let me just clarify communion and what it is. It's this reminding of the sacrifice Christ gives us. It's a reminder of we come to Jesus with really nothing to offer to him that's of value. And he continually comes to us and says, okay, here's my sacrifice. Here's my body. Here's my blood, which is shed for you. We're going to pray the the Lord's Prayer today, and uh, then we're going to take communion. So if you will, just repeat after me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Paul would instruct us to take a moment and to evaluate yourself and ask God to seek yourself and all that and see, am I missing? Is there a hidden sin in there, God? And then take a moment and confess your sins to God, and then we'll lead, I'll lead us into communion. Jesus, we come before you and we acknowledge that we've been made in your, your image, that you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. But we are also born into sin. The sin we inherited and the sinful actions and the sinful thoughts the sinful words we've said. And we've done things to separate us from you. Maybe some of those sinful things are holding on to the wrong things. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would forgive us. We confess our sins to you. And like the scripture says, that you are faithful and just to forgive us if we just confess. So, God, we just want to confess our sins knowing that you're going to forgive us. And we want your kingdom to come to this earth. We want your kingdom to come to the Maryville, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our families. Not our own agenda. We love you, Jesus. Genuinely pray this. Amen.